In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In our Gospel reading, Jesus starts off by talking about something that may be a little bit hard to understand. Part of this is because he actually is paying a backhanded compliment to the Pharisees and scribes, which are two of the groups that he regularly tangles with throughout the Gospel narratives. That aside, though, Jesus talk about righteousness can be a little hard to wrap our minds around. You see, I don't think that we have a very good concept as a society in general about what righteousness actually is. It's a word we use here in church, but maybe we don't define it as we should. Usually, when it's used out in the world, it seem, seems like it's sort of a bad thing. You might hear somebody say that somebody is self-righteous, and, well, that's not really a compliment. But when it comes to the scriptures, righteousness is a good thing. It's something to be desired. Jesus is righteous, for instance. It is an essential quality of his being. It is who he is. That means that according to his divine nature, Jesus always does what is good and what is right. He cannot do otherwise. This means that we can trust him when he makes promises to work all things together for good for those who believe. This also means that according to his human nature, Jesus is righteous because he always does what the law of God says. What we read in our Old Testament reading from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, that is a thumbnail sketch of the life of Jesus. Jesus was born under the law in order to redeem those who are under the law, to give them the righteousness that God requires of them. Thus he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fills up the requirement of the law by doing it, something that we have been unable to do since the fall into sin. This is the kind of righteousness that is demanded of us by the Ten Commandments. Of this kind of righteousness, though, God's Word says things like, no one is righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. And so, we need a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But how do we get that righteousness? Well, we've been given a little bit of a hint already. We cannot be justified by works of the law. That means that we cannot go and do something to make ourselves righteous, to make ourselves right with God. We cannot do anything in order to make up for our stain of sin. God is not some cosmic weight scale that means that my good deeds have to outweigh my bad deeds in order for me to be considered righteous. No. The only reason that we could be considered righteous is if we do everything according to the Ten Commandments. The Law and the Prophets tell us 
about this righteousness that we need. This is why Jesus didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Unfortunately, neither can they give us the righteousness that we need. Instead, God must give us this righteousness. St. Paul writes, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In short, in order to be justified, that is, in order to be declared by God to be righteous, God must make us so by faith in his son Jesus. So if faith is what is needed to achieve that elusive righteousness that Jesus says that we need, what does that actually look like, then, in the life of the Christian? How can we be sure that our faith is good enough, is strong enough, to make sure that we can be declared righteous by God? Well, in the baptism rite today, we heard these words from Jesus from the last chapter of Mark. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. With these words, Jesus puts things on either side of an equal sign. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor, please don't do math from the pulpit. But, you guys don't go here, but you, you, you would find out if you did. But when he does that, he's equating saving faith and baptism in the same sentence. He joins these two words together, baptized and believes with that equal sign, that word and. A conjunction that hooks these two words together with the same yoke. Now some Christians will stop us right there and say that we're overthrowing the whole teaching of salvation by grace through faith alone. If we're saying that baptism is the way in which we are given that salvation. Some will even say that Luther didn't go far enough in the Reformation. He just couldn't seem to kick the old habits of the Roman church because he still held, and Lutherans still today hold, that baptism saves us. Well, we can deal with that last bit pretty quickly. Again, we heard in the baptism rite that quote from the Apostle Peter who heard Jesus teach about baptism directly. He says... Baptism now saves you. There's really no way to get around that teaching unless we turn the, inside, the, turn the New Testament inside out and flip it upside down on its head. But that first part about baptism being a work is also easy to deal with too. In John 4, it is said that Jesus was making disciples and baptizing them but then it goes on to say that Jesus himself did not baptize, but that his apostles, his disciples, were doing all of the baptizing on his behalf. To put it simply, 
Even though the twelve were speaking the words and pouring the water, John, who also heard the Lord teach directly about baptism, says that Jesus was doing it. And it's the same for us today, too. Sure, Annika brought Scotland up here to be baptized. Pastor Ring and I, we said the words, I poured the water. But it was Jesus that did the baptizing. Listen to how St. Paul describes it in Titus chapter 3. He says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. God here has done the washing. He has poured out his Holy Spirit upon Scotland and all of the baptized through his Son. He has justified us. He has declared us to be righteous in Christ Jesus. And so this quality of righteousness that we need in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven is given to us by Christ Jesus right here at this font. It is from this font that Jesus gives us his righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. It is from this font that Jesus opens heaven to us. Like the patriarch Jacob once exclaimed, this here, this font is the very gate of heaven. Here in these waters, as the Apostle Paul said, Scotland died to sin and is now alive to God in Christ Jesus. She has been united to the resurrection of Jesus. And this, <coughs> excuse me, this, dear saints, is the very heart of where we as Christians put our hope. Here, in the font, Jesus takes away our unrighteousness and he puts it upon himself, which he bore on the cross. And then he turns and he clothes us with his own righteousness. People loved by God. Baptism is God's way of bringing us his righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus secured for the whole world at the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. Now he brings it forward to us in time to each individual Christian. This was no mere symbolical act, but it is the Lord Jesus taking a dear child into his nail-marked hands and blessing her. Dear saints, let us let the little children come to Jesus that he might wash them, cleanse them of their sins, and declare them to be righteous for his sake. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.